Hi, everyone, and welcome to She Talk Cinema, a program about women in film, television, and the arts. Our show is sponsored by the Hollywood Women's Film Institute and the Hollywood Women's International Film Festival. I'm Robin Rice, your host for today's show, and our guest today is Lydia Smith. Lydia is, has been involved in the film industry for more than a quarter of a century. She is a director, a producer, a writer. She wrote, produced, and directed They're Just Kids, which is a 26-minute educational documentary on how children with disabilities can positively affect our lives, A Legacy Revealed, a 40-minute historical documentary, and the 20-minute biography, Bill Lansing, a tribute. Additionally, Lydia was the senior producer on CNN's Soldier of Peace, a children's crusade, co-producer and second unit director of photography on the CNN documentary, The Mystery of the Arctic Rose, second unit director of photography on the PBS program, Stand Up American producer for Chilean TV's The Route of the Bear... Berenjia. 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 And directory of photography for Anthony Hopkins teaches and many more. In addition to her producing and director credits, Lydia has worked as camera assistant and operator on major motion pictures, national com commercials, and top music videos. So, but one of her most passionate and latest things that she worked on was director of Walking the Camino. She lived in Spain for over six years, which she'll tell us about. And she started that project back in the spring of 2008 mm -hmm. when she walked the Camino and she'll tell us all about that. So why don't you tell us how you got started on that project? Well, what happened was I was in a transition phase in my life. Um, I had moved to Santa Cruz to be with a man and it really became clear we were not a good fit for each other. And I really was kind of at a loss of where to go and what to do. And this little voice just popped into my head and said, you need to walk the Camino. And I kind of pushed the voice away, but it was very insistent. And so I did a little bit of research and I was like, wow, this seems great. And I kind of always knew about the Camino because I had lived in Spain and everyone in Spain knew about the Camino. Um, nowadays, it's quite popular in the States too, but back then barely anybody knew about it. And so anyway, it just was like, well, that's what I need to do. So off I went and I walked the Camino. And while I was walking, as people found out that I was a filmmaker, um, there was a couple of people, one in particular, that was really insistent that I should do a documentary on it. And I was very resistant to that because I had independently produced a film before, um, They're Just Kids, um, with no backup of a studio or a TV station or a production company. And I swore I would never, ever do that again just because it's so challenging to raise all the money and you know have to find all the resources yourself. And so I was very resistant to the idea of doing the Camino documentary. And so, but that little voice was more uh, insistent than my, my fears and hesitations. And so after several months of fighting that, I finally succumbed. Um, 
and I decided, okay, I'll, I'll do a documentary. And so that was, um, I walked the Camino in April, May of 2008. And then I decided finally to make the documentary in September, 2008. And so then I went back and filmed in April, May of 2009. Wow. Yeah. And, and so what's the, what's the process for you as a documentary filmmaker? Do you, yeah. Well, for me, it was very much about, um, I was trying to really get out of the way and try and make the Camino's film to make something that if the Camino was a person, what would they want? What would, what kind of decisions would they make? I didn't want it to be my point of view. I was really trying to work very intuitively on what would be, um, what would be best for the Camino? And what did the Camino want to say? So one example of that was, um, I had essentially recruited just two people um, to for the first couple days of filming, but then it was really, I was relying on the Camino to present to me who was meant to be in the film. And one example of that is in the film, we have a mother and a three-year-old son. Now, this is something I never would have consciously cast because there's not very many mothers and three-year-olds walking the Camino for good reason. It's very hard. Um, but the other reason, but the thing that happened was I very quickly, um, we kept running into Tatiana and we actually met her even before we officially started filming. We were doing pre-production stuff in this little albergue outside of Pamplona. And so I really kind of got the message. It was like, okay, I think I'm meant to film her. And so that was a very big part of my process was really trying to kind of get the sense of what the Camino would do if they were a person. So I'm gonna back up a little and ask you, how, how did you know or when did you know that you wanted to be a documentary filmmaker? And I guess the first part of that question should be, is a documentary filmmaker what you want to be? Or do you have other aspirations as well? No, I, I do want to be, at least for right now, I do want to be a documentary filmmaker. And that's when I was in college, um, I first initially was interested in theater and then I realized that film was a much, uh, you could travel more with film and I liked that. And really what happened was I was taking a documentary class and this woman came and showed her documentary, which was about incest and child sexual abuse, which arguably is like the worst subject ever. And yet it was one of the most inspiring, moving, uplifting films I'd ever seen. And that was what really changed my trip trajectory was I saw how much good could come from a film because this film ended up being seen by millions of people and it was called Breaking Silence and it was really the first film on incest and child sexual abuse and the idea being if you break the silence you break the chain because if you women that have been abused if they don't get help they're much more likely to marry an abuser who then abuses their kids but if they break the silence, get help, then they don't. And so that was really the driving force was seeing, wow, you can really make a difference in the world 
in documentaries. And so that was the beginning. And so I started off my career in documentaries. I started working for Teresa, who was the filmmaker. And, um, and then after that, I moved back to Spain and I couldn't work in documentaries. So I worked in mostly in commercials. And then I worked to LA, in LA and I was working in camera, but I, then I got my, my way back into camp, into documentaries. And I mostly worked in, in camera, in the camera department, but then I do about one documentary a year because financially it's a little tougher to make a living in documentaries than it is in camera. So, um, yeah. So did you have, I, I heard you say Teresa, was she a mentor to you? Do you, or do you have there, a mentor? Yeah, she was very much of a mentor and she, um, over the years, and actually when I decided to do Walking the Camino, um, I approached her um, to run the, the project through her nonprofit, Future Educational Films. And when she heard about it, she was like, oh, I want to be involved. And so she was, she helped me produce it and she was the second unit director. Um, and throughout the years, I've developed many mentors. Um, one of the most meaningful mentors I've had is um, Kobe Atlas, who's been making documentaries for I don't know, I want to say 40 years and is just one of the most gifted people I've ever met because she literally at her job, she was um, the vice president of content for PBS for many years under Pat Mitchell. She also headed up CNN Presents, um, their documentary division. And so she's really gifted at looking at rough cuts and not just seeing what's wrong. Lots of people can find, see, oh, that's not working, that's not working. But what Kobe's so amazing at is she goes, that's not working and the solution is this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. And so I feel very blessed. And she's um, was an executive producer on Walking the Camino and she's also um, helping me with um, my new project. Which we'll talk about in a, in a little bit. So it sounds like you have created a team. Very much so. Very much so. I, um, I have several people that uh, worked on walking the Camino with me and are working on my new project. Although some people have kind of moved to different places, but I'm still working with the same editor and um, my kind of tech genius. Um, Evan's been working with me for, gosh, I don't know, eight, nine years. Um, so yeah, yeah. That's great. And I, and I asked some of those questions because I know some of the people listening are young filmmakers or people wanting to move forward in the business in different ways. And so I think it's important to hear about your journey and, you know, how you got there and what's important to you. So if, do you have any advice for someone that wants to become a documentary filmmaker? I'd say one of the most important things is to get the absolute best people you can. Um, obviously, you won't be able to fill every position, um, but really make sure you have a great DP and a great editor. I mean, those are the two key, really, positions. And, and also to have a mentor and somebody that is somebody, if not a couple people. I have two people that... Um, I use to show rough cuts, to show treatments, to give updates, because no matter how good you are, there's somebody that has more experience and somebody who can look at it, they're looking at it from a bigger picture. You know, I get really enmeshed in the story and the people and, and 
And so it's really helpful to have people, experience people on the outside, kind of giving you feedback. Um, I think sometimes in the film business, there's a lot of people that are hesitant to do that. Like, this is my vision, this is this. And it's like, it still can be. My, my process is really about, you know, throwing it out there to a couple, several experienced people. I listen to their feedback and if it resonates, and a lot of times, you know, things don't, things aren't right the first time around. I mean, with walking the Camino, we have essentially six different characters and we blend their beats together. And we had to try 45 different combinations before we found the right combination. So it can take a while. Yeah, it's not easy. And it's not, it's, it's easy, I think, to get really enmeshed. Oh, my biggest tip is I really highly recommend that people do not edit their own films unless they're editors. Because again, I see a lot of people that was like, oh, I can do that and I'm good enough. And it's like, but it, there's a real difference with someone that hones their craft and does it day in, day out versus if you've, you know, spent some time and learned, you know, how to use Avid or Premiere or whatever. It, it's, I just think it's really important to have a really good editor and not try and edit your own stuff. Um, again, unless you're an editor. Um, and there are the rare exceptions, but I mean, I've been to film festivals and I'm watching a film and I'm like, can totally tell the director edited it. And, and most of the time I'm right. And then I look at the credits and it's like, yep. And I would imagine too, uh, having an editor, one that you trust gives you a, a different perspective because sometimes I would imagine as a filmmaker you're attached to your vision and can't always see how it combines. Yeah there was a really good example with that with walking the Camino because one of our characters Tatiana there was definitely something going on that she did not want to talk about and I asked her and she's like I'm not going there I'm not talking about it and she was the one with the kid and she was a really interesting character. But to me, it was so blatant, like we can't use Tatiana because it's so clear that she has this other issue and she won't talk about. But the thing is my vision was clouded by all these things that had happened off camera. Whereas Beth, my editor only looked at footage and she was like, no, no, we can totally make this work. But because I had seen so many other things and I couldn't really divorce what I had seen in person and what I'd seen on camera. Um, so yeah, that's really helpful. And so you live in Portland and mm -hmm. so I'm wondering like, how does, does that affect you in terms of industry getting things out or having the right people and things to work with? How does that work? There is a bit of a, you know, there is a, a growing film industry here, but it's, of course, nothing like the Bay Area or L.A. or D.C. or New York. Um, so I found um, I really need to create my own work here, whereas if I lived in L.A., I could get hired for stuff. Um, and so that's, that's a harsh reality. Um, but... But I do find there are enough people um, that work in the industry. And I think it's also harder too, 
like the IDA, the Independent Documentary Association, they do all these great events and it's really great to be a member of that. But everything takes place LA, New York, and the Bay Area. And you're really left out if you're living anywhere else. Now, nowadays that's totally changed. I mean, they're doing a lot more um, online events. Doc New York is doing some really great online events. And so I think, I think that going forward, there might be a lot more um, online events. Right. Well, nowadays everything's changed. Exactly. So, you know, we find ourselves, I think actually for filmmakers, actors, entertainment people, it's going to be a lot easier in some ways in terms of being able to audition or submit or film and get things to the right people because so much more is going to be online. Yeah, it is. It is funny, though. Um, one of my mentors, and she's also one of my best friends, is Kira Thompson, who is um, one of the showrunners of The Voice. And they're having to move everything online. And her husband, Chuck, is helping me as a writer, and he's been helping me with grant proposals. And he just said the other day, he goes, it's ironic, I'm seeing my wife less now that she's working in, in our bedroom than when she was going to the studio every day. Um, so it's pretty complicated, um, and it's been a lot of work for her to keep the show going remotely. Right. I feel, I feel like it's a lot, uh, if you're creative, if you're a creative, it seems like you're busier. It seems like there's more to do or more to be, more Zoom calls to be on because you're creating more projects and more things are happening. So that's, that's, that's an interesting thing. So talking about the Camino, is there any one story that stands out in your mind? And I just want to say, I haven't seen the Camino in probably eight years now. I mean, I've seen, I saw it like three times, but I haven't seen it in like eight years. And then every time somebody would talk about the Camino, I'd be like, that's my friend, Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> she, she made that Camino thing popular. Um, and I really do feel like that. I feel like your your story was groundbreaking, even though people knew about it, or but not as much, and it didn't have the same flavor. And then after yours came other documentaries or movies, you know, that touched on that. So I just wonder if there's something that stood out um, about it, or well, one thing that. Um, I have to say, I think The Way with Martin Sheen had a huge influence and on, you know, getting the popularity of the Camino. And that kind of reminds me of a story because we, um, I found out when I was scouting in Santiago that they were looking, they were going to be making their film um, as well. And I reached out and they were going to be filming at the same time we were. Um, and then we filmed and I didn't see them. And, and then I reached out when I got back and they had to delay until the fall. And so we cut together this 23 minute trailer and I sent it to them and Martin loved it. And, um, Emilio really liked it and they used it to train their actors because none of the actors nor Martin or Emilio had walked the Camino. Emilio's son has had, but not the rest of them. So that was kind of a great honor. And so they filmed their film and then they went on and they were able to cut and they came out like two years, two or three years before we did. 
And I remember being so, there was a part of me that was so resentful. Like they haven't walked the Camino and, you know, it's a great film that takes place on the Camino, but I wouldn't say it's about the Camino, but there was this part of me that was kind of resentful and, 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 oh, poor me. And then lo and behold, I mean, it was one of those things, everything worked out perfectly because they came out two years before we did. There were so many people that got inspired by that movie, went and walked, and then they became our volunteers and they helped us, you know, spread the word and they helped us when we did the tour. I was, I would like park the RV in people's driveways and they came out and helped us sell merchandise. And so it was really one of those things that worked out so perfectly. And because they had opened, kind of opened the door to this Camino in the States, there also was, I think, a real hunger for a documentary. I mean, that was sort of the Hollywood version. There was really an opening and a need for what is it really like? Right, and, to know the truth. Yeah, and, and I mean, theirs was a really beautiful story, mm-hmm. and but it doesn't, I wouldn't say it accurately depicts what it's like, but that's not the point of their film. Right. Um, the point of their film is really the feelings and what the father goes through. Um, and so it's just one of those things, like, you know, when you have faith, and I did kind of try and keep that in mind. I'm like, there's something good happening here. Or there's something good. And it really was, was perfect. That's great. And I know that you lead by faith a lot. And um, I think that probably leads us into your new, your new adventure. Right? Yeah. A little bit. Um, well, my next documentary um, is, I call it, it's sort of the flip side of the Camino. It's also about transformation. But on the Camino, your tran- the transformation is really supported. You have hospitaleros, people that run these albergues that are helping you. you. The villagers, you have food and everybody's supporting you and your, your spiritual growth and your Camino. And it's constantly like, how can we help you? How can we serve you better? And you, you'll get somebody that'll work for a half an hour on your feet and on your blisters for free. And this is about transformation in prison, where it's the exact opposite, where these guys are just encountering violence and mental illness every step of the way. And when they're trying to kind of transform themselves, they're in an environment that can pull them down at every turn. And, um, it's just a really inspiring story. I mean, these guys that I've gotten to know um, in prison that are working on themselves, they're in a restorative justice program. And really what so much of it is about is about them taking responsibility for what for their actions and trying to make amends um, in whatever way they can. And I can't tell you how inspiring and uplifting these guys are. Um, we were able to film for about a month. We were planning on filming once a week for um, five months. We were following a class called um, uh, Reforming Criminal Justice. And it was a class that um, a professor from Willamette University um, was taking in kids, university, college students into the prison. And then together, they would, she would teach this class with inside students. So they had inside and outside students. And it was just amazing um, 
and obviously it got shut down and we're the plan is to start again in January but it's just really um, these guys just blow me away and the the how much they have been able to transform themselves um, you know there's one guy that is an ex-white supremacist and now his mentor and is a black guy and it's it's just so beautiful there's so many amazing examples of of transformation that are happening there and um in the restorative justice program where they're they're they do workshops and they do all sorts of really great great things it sounds amazing and i know from having known you since back during soldiers of peace yeah a long time ago yeah and which was well you tell them what that was a little bit well, that was um, CNN Presents, which was a documentary film series. We did a, um, a documentary about the children's peace movement in Colombia, which had been nominated uh, four times for the Nobel Peace Prize. And we followed a group of six kids as they went to, um, to the Hague Appeal for Peace. And they're just really exceptional kids. And it's actually quite amazing. I'm still in touch with most of them now. And um, I, I am quite regularly chatting with them on Facebook or I just did a meditation with Delia and she's now starting to, um, she's a lawyer and she's going to get into politics in Colombia and it's, um, really great group of kids. That was so inspiring. It was so inspiring as youth and to, that to watch them grow as well during yeah. the years, but it, but all of your projects, you're such a undercover agent for change well you know what i've learned about myself is the only thing the thing that interests me most is transformation is change how do we change how do we how do we go from here to there and how do we you know change our habits our beliefs our our patterns and how do we become who we really want to be or who we really are in, at the bottom of it and I realized nothing else really interests me. Like that's where it's at. And that's why I think this documentary about restorative justice and these prisoners really hits home so much is because they're starting way over, you know, I mean, a lot of these guys, several of these guys have committed murder or really heinous crimes. And now are some of the most self-aware, kind, good people I've ever met. So the arc is so big, whereas I feel like those of us, you know, out on the outside, our arcs are much smaller, you know, like the worst thing we ever did isn't way over here, you know, and, and, and so to see these differences and like, how do they do it? Like one of the guys in the prison documentary, I mean, he spent 10 out of his first 13 years in solitary confinement. And oh my God. that breaks most people, but he read and read and journaled and really had some severe shifts. And I mean, he was on the verge of killing himself, very, very close to killing himself. But what happened was he had sort of made a vow. I don't want to be a place of harm anymore. I can't hurt people anymore. I'm, I'm done. And when he what happened was uh, several things happened, but one of them was he um, 
was reading Sophie's Choice. And he got to the point where the guard makes the woman choose which of her children is going to live and which is going to die. And he just broke down and sobbed and was so distraught. And then he was like, what kind of monster would, would make a mother choose? And then, then he realized, oh my God, I did that. I'm responsible for parents having to bury their children. And then he sank into this deep depression. And that's when he really had this choice. He realized, okay, I want to, I want to kill myself. I can't live with who I am. And then he realized I can't do that because that would hurt the few people that love me right now. And he's like, oh gosh, I can't kill myself. I can't live with who I am. So he's like, I have to change. I have to become somebody I can be proud of being. And that's what he's done. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It, it's, it's amazing. I, and so how did you decide, what made you, how did you find that story or what, how did that come to you like to investigate? What happened was a friend of mine um, was doing a, was teaching theater in the prison and he was doing a play on solitary confinement and he um, invited me to come see the play and I was really like, okay, I want to support my friend. Um, I didn't particularly have any interest in it, but it was like, I want to be supportive and, oh, it'll be interesting. Right. And I was so blown away by this play and I, I was the only woman, there was like 50, there was five of us from the outside and then like 50 guys from the inside and I was the only woman. And afterwards I'm like crying. I'm like, it was so good. You know, you guys are amazing, you know? And um, actually they ended up winning first prize on Pan America um, wow. for their play. Yeah, it's a, it was really good and it was just really moving. And I was, so that's where I started getting interested in, in it. Yeah, that is amazing. I, and that was one of my questions I was thinking when you were saying that is as a woman going into the prisons, I know I've, I've done that also teaching and, and it's an interesting experience. So how has that been for you? Well, you know, it's so funny. It's like, I, now that I've gotten to know the guys, I feel 110% comfortable. But the first time I remember um, I went into the prison and I'd been into a prison once before uh, with the Soldiers of Peace, the Colombian documentary with Hector. And so I was kind of like, I've been in prison before, but they read you literally the riot act. Like if there's a riot, you're on your own is essentially what they tell you. And, you know, if you're kidnapped, you know, we're not going to negotiate for you. So all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, like what? And I kind of immediately like started scanning, like who's going to help me and who's going to hurt me. And we get up into the room where the play is going to happen. And my friend who was directing the play was like, oh, I got to go do something. And so here, talk to Terrence. So I start talking to Terrence. There's a couple of us talking to Terrence and I can just tell I'm like kind of, oh, and there's no guards. The guards disappear. And I'm just like, oh my God, there's no guards. And and I'm talking to Terrence and then I very quickly, I'm like, okay, if anything happened, Terrence is going to like, he's going to hide me in a broom closet. He'll, 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 he'll make sure I'm like not in the line of fire. Terrence had your back. Yeah. But, but I also knew like, you know, 
that's probably, you know, he just hide me in a broom closet. But then after the play, I met one of the, we were talking with one of them and um, one of the guys and all of a sudden I could just feel my whole body relax. And all of a sudden I realized this man would lay down his life to protect me. And I just knew it. I just knew. And I also knew he was a leader. And so we'll fast forward many years. I've gotten to know some people in his circle and I've told that story to somebody and they were like, you know what? You're absolutely right. He would. Mm -hmm. He's very much of a chivalry kind of guy. And, and now I go in and these guys, the ones that I'm dealing with, the ones that are in the restorative justice program, they're so committed to their growth. I feel totally um, safe with them. And I've also learned there's also a code in prison, um, at least in that prison, where if anything went down, their first priority is to protect the visitors. And visitors, I mean, volunteers. Volunteers are, are you know, sacred and nobody hurts, nobody touches. And, um, but especially where I go, which is the chapel area, which is where they do religious or AA meetings or um, things like that. Um, it's, I don't have any, any hesitations, any fears. And actually it's been, I haven't been in the prison since March and I've, I've really, I've really missed it. I've really missed the guys. Um, I'm going to be able to be part of another zoom call on Monday and um, yeah, really miss them. That's exciting. So when do you think that's going to be coming finished or? Well, the biggest question is if with COVID-19, if we'll be able to film next January. So I mean, the earliest I'll be able to start filming again is in January. And so who knows? And the big question too is funding. Um, I've been raising money from individuals for the shoot. Um, some of my bigger past donors from walking the Camino, but now with the market falling off of a cliff, I'm, um, I was able to raise about half of what I needed for a super bare bones filming budget. And now I'm, I'm not so sure. Um, so I'm spending a lot of time raising, um, writing grant proposals, but there's just so much competition. Um, I applied to ITVS, which is a really popular um, uh, foundation that supports um, documentaries. Uh, most of the films that come off of POV and independent lens have been funded from ITVS. And the first time we applied, um, we got turned down. They had over 300 applications for I think like six, six to 10 um, spots. But the thing about ITVS is um, most of the people I know that have gotten ITVS grants, they've gotten it on their third try. So I'll keep, I'll keep at it. <laughs> and I guess that's one of the tips you would give to anyone wanting to do this if, because you're generally finding your own funding, right? Well, one of the things I, I mean, with walking the Camino, we really were outside the funding guidelines for most foundations. And so it, it was really frustrating. I mean, we got turned down by everyone. And so I really then, um, it was a friend of mine from high school that really was like, you should tap our high school class. 
And so then it ended up turning into me asking for money from pretty much everybody I'd ever known in my entire life. And, and that's how I ended up making the film. And, um, it's, especially if you're new, um, the chances of, of you getting a lot of grants, it's, it's really, really competitive. And even, I mean, I feel like I have a really good story and I have a lot of experience and I'm not counting on getting a lot of big grants. I'm hoping to get, um, I'd like to be able to pitch this to Netflix. Um, but even with the background I have, I don't have a clear path to how to do that. And so you have to be very tenacious, I think, if you're a filmmaker. And I, I know for me, I think you have to be really passionate about your subject matter. It has to really fuel you from inside because otherwise it's just too hard. It's really not, it's not an easy road. It's not a quick road either. No. Uh, yeah, it took me over five years to make Walking the Camino. And um, so far now I'm going on year four <laughs> with the prison documentary because um, I first saw the play and decided I really would love to make a film about these guys um, three and a half years ago. Wow. And uh, it took me three years just to get permission to shoot in the prison. <laughs> Um, and I don't know how long it's going to take to film. I mean, I, and then I don't know how long it's going to take me to raise all the money. And, and that's the thing too, that with walking the Camino, it was taking me so long to do everything. And it, it felt like jumping off a cliff for five years and not knowing, is there a wonderful landing for me or am I going to crash and burn? I am like so invested in this but I don't know if it's going to resonate with people. I don't know if I'm making a great film. I don't know, but I just had to kind of keep the faith with my own intuition that I was being guided to do what I was doing for a good reason. And, and luckily I have that now. And, and I also have donors that, that have supported me and saw how well the film did. So it's a little bit easier um, but now yet what, once again, we're in the middle of a, a crash and that happened too. When I was raising money for walking the Camino, I was raising money in, you know, 2008 and 2009 and two, and you know, right after that big crash. And this one's probably even going to be worse, but I'm just going to plot along and trust that it's going to work do what out. You do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that's what you do and you, as you do that, you bring hope to others. So it, yeah. that's really amazing. So uh, there's a couple of things I just want to wrap up with, but I wanted to ask you one last question, which is how do you feel um, as a woman in the industry? Do you feel like it's a diff any different for a man or do you, what's your experience been with that as a filmmaker and in the industry? You know, making documentaries has been so um, solitary. Um, I'm just kind of there doing um, it on my own. When I was working in camera, um, I definitely encountered a lot more sexism um, on a lot more issues um, when I was kind of on set with a lot of guys. And 
definitely had a lot more um, issues there. Um, I'm not really sure with producing independent docs if there's as much of an issue. I, I do wonder as, as I get older, um, I feel like that's kind of more of an issue because the film industry is such a young person's um, area. And I do feel like there isn't as much honor for experience as there is, you know, creativity. But what's really interesting, what I found, um, and I remember this when I was working on lots of big movies and sets and commercials, was the director of photography was, generally speaking, always the oldest person on set. And, you know, was always the most experienced. Because you really, you can't, that's where you really need the experience. You can't just pick up a camera and be great. Right. Um, so, um, but I think the industry is tough, but I, like I said, you know, being a documentary filmmaker, it's so slow and plotting and it's like, um, I'm not, I can't really speak to that probably as much as other people could. Well, I think that, but I think you have. And I think the other thing I noticed is that you surround yourself on your projects with a lot of great women. Yeah. I mean, my, on this, on, I do, um, you know, my producer and editor and executive producer are all women. Um, my director of photography is a man and, um, all my cinematographers are men and it, and it, that's just kind of evolved. It's not like that's what I necessarily wanted, but I'm looking for who's the best and most experienced person I can get. That's going to be willing to work for next to nothing. Um, and that's um, been a big issue, but yeah, um, that's true. And I have, I mean, Teresa, when I worked with Teresa, most of us were women as well. Yeah, so it's you've kind of created your own reality you yeah. know, in, in that support system kind of way. Well, that's amazing. And I think that that's the, all that you've said is such a great uh, foundation for, for filmmakers, for documentary makers, for people to take in, creatives. I want to let I want to let them know how they can get in touch with you if they want to know about the Camino if they how can they see the Camino and how can they support you if they'd like to and what what would be the next steps for how they could connect like that um, well to see the film um, you can go to our website which is CaminoDocumentary.org. And that's the same. Our Facebook page is also Camino Documentary. And you can rent it or purchase it there. Um, unless, of course, you would prefer to support Jeff Bezos, in which case you can go to Amazon or the shareholders of Apple. And I point that out to people because, and especially for aspiring filmmakers, you really, if keep the rights to your film and make your own, well, nobody makes DVDs anymore, so, but if you manage your own content and you drive people to your own website, I mean, you get pennies. I mean, I get, I don't even know, like 25 cents from a rental on Amazon, whereas we get several bucks if they come to our website. And so that's a really important, I see a lot of people just say, oh, you can watch it on Apple or Vudu or whatever, 
but if they if you drive people to your own website you can really get a lot more back um and i also like to remind people so often people are like oh isn't it on netflix or somewhere free and i was like i was like no um i mean that's a long story in and of itself but i think it's really important to encourage people to support independent artists it's like it's this is the equivalent of a cup of coffee and this costs over a half a million dollars to make and we're just asking for essentially a, what you pay for a cup of coffee to rent it. So really just, you know, don't expect to try and find everything for free and please do not go to like pirated um, websites to, to find material. Cause you're really, I mean, this is, these are labors of love of people. So anyway, um, our website is Camino documentary and we have a contact you can, um, it'll find, get its way to me from info at Camino documentary. And if you're interested in learning more about the prison documentary, just reach out to me there on our website. And then I can send you some information on that. Um, we are, uh, we are a nonprofit. Um, so all donations are tax deductible and very much appreciated and, um, and needed. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Lydia. It's been a joy to have you. And it's amazing to hear the birds singing out in your garden. And <laughs> I just want to thank you so much for taking this time. And I can't wait to hear about the prison, uh, the prison uh, documentary. I can't wait to see what's next. So I just want to thank everybody for joining us today on She Talks Cinema. And to find out more about our programs, you can go to SheTalkCinema.com and the Hollywood Women's Film Institute.org. You can also check out our new talk show coming to you in May. You'll find that on YouTube. So please join us next time to hear more amazing guests on She Talk Cinema. Great. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Well, that was fun. That was fun.